The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. I love it when he says, let's get the party started. And I feel like I'm actually having one, which is what's happening today, because I do have our opening guest right here with me in beautiful uptown Harlem, New York City. After the break, I will be bringing on a guest from afar, Elise Desaulniers, who's the author of Cash Cow, is going to be uh, joining us from Montreal. But right now, we are going to be talking soul food and really good food with Aaron and Brenda Beaner. They are a son and mother team uh, behind Season Vegan, the first full-service vegan restaurant in Harlem. They make 100% vegan versions of classic dishes that appeal to strict vegans as well as omnivores passing by and the occasional celebrity passing by, I have heard. Welcome, Ms. Brenda and Aaron. Thank you. Yeah, Glad thank to you. be here. Yeah. It is, it's wonderful to have you so okay you are a mother and son who started this vegan thing mother or son mother and how did it all start um it started about really it was dad yeah tell you the truth yeah it's really dad um my father was the one who uh is pretty much the trailblazer for our family he became vegan about 20 years ago and then at that point my mom was faced with the challenge of how to prepare strict vegan food that would uh, appeal to my dad, but also that would appeal to myself and my younger sister taste-wise. I was about 10 at the time. My sister was seven. So that was the initial vegan challenge for my mom and for my household. Yeah. <laughs> and had you always been interested in food? Yeah, pretty much. My, my mom was an excellent cook. and My dad was a chef back in the 30s or 40s in, in New Orleans. And so I grew up in a household with really good cooks, and so I was always interested in cooking. I wanted my mom to open her own restaurant back in the 60s and 70s, and she wasn't interested. So, yeah. Well, there you go. I'm so glad you were interested. Now, I want you to just help us understand the, the cuisine. So um, Seasoned Vegan is Louisiana soul food, veganized, as I understand it. But just help us understand what's soul food before it gets to be vegan. Well, our version of soul food is a little different. Um, our version of soul food is a food that really is prepared from the soul and from the spirit. Um, the traditional soul food, as we know it, consists of a lot of pork and um, 
I would say, more meat products than it does vegetables. So we're coming from a totally different angle. Um, ours is a, a soul food that is from the soul. I love that. And to me, that is the real essence of being vegan anyway. Your heart starts to open in one, one way or another, and you just have to follow that. So when I think of, of soul food, and I've been in some of the other restaurants in Harlem before you guys opened up, there were just a, a lot of like heavy food, a lot of mac and cheese, a lot of you know fried chicken and stuff. Not that I was eating that, listeners. But there was there were also vegetables, and there were lots of, of dark leafy greens that I think a lot of people leave out of their diet. Mm-hmm. So there's some good stuff, even in the conventional, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean the whole essence of soul food is pretty much taking what you what you have available to you and trying to do your best with it. You know, so there's a lot of good uh, good things that have come out of soul food. I know you're referring to probably like uh, one of the main soul food standards, which is collard greens, which is uh, really good and it's so easy to make vegan. I mean, it's, it's grow it is vegan unless you like de-veganize it, you know, by adding like neck bones or pork products or whatever people add to to collard greens. But yeah, there's all types of good. Uh, strong starches and vegetables that are part of the um, soul food cuisine, like yams. You know, there's a lot of good stuff that's out there. Well, what would you do if somebody was used to always having some kind of pork or something in the greens? I mean, my mom came from Mississippi, and she could not cook a green bean without sticking some bacon in it. So what do you do as a vegan to kind of give somebody who's used to that flavor a little bit of snap? Just seasonings. Um, was just some, a lot of my products that I prepare, a lot of my dishes that I prepare consist of about 32 seasonings, anywhere from 24 to 32, in order to get that flavor that I want. Um, wow. So if you flavor up your food and put the proper herbs and seasonings in it, you can capture that. Matter of fact, to me, I think it's even a better taste because you don't have that greasy essence that comes from when you're preparing it with um, meat products. Right, right. So your restaurant has been around, is it two years now? Yeah, we are. We're officially, we're still sophomores. So um, we will enter our junior year on May 3rd. That is our, our anniversary. So we're looking forward to uh, to completing this second full year on May 3rd and starting our next our next new year. Oh, Three's the charm, they say, right? That so. is exciting. So if you're in New York or if you're coming to New York, by all means, check out Season Vegan. You can find them online at seasonedvegan.com. They're Seasoned Vegan on Facebook and on Twitter. I'll put all that in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. The cool thing about Seasoned Vegan is, number one, you're going to find food there that you will not find anywhere else. So some of it is what you would expect at a soul food restaurant. The mac and cheese is fabulous. But there's also, I think, the best smoothie in New York City, the best green smoothie, mango, amazing, incredible brunch on Saturday and Sunday, superb pancakes. Oh, my gosh. We, we go there whenever um, uh, Main Street Vegan Academy is in session. We always go for a weekend brunch, and they're really close to the number two or three express train in New York City. So be sure that you give them a visit. So why Harlem? Why did you choose to put Seasoned Vegan in what I've heard called the capital of black America? That was pretty much an easy one for us, you know, growing up and, um, you know, vegetarian and then experimenting with veganism over the years. We always were forced to go out of our neighborhood if we wanted to dine dine out. So we'd end up going to Jersey or we'd have to go all the way down to West 4th Street. We'd go to, you know, all over the place. But the, the point is we'd have to leave our neighborhood and go significantly far at first to uh, to get a vegan meal. So that was one, just re- recognizing that there was such a, a need in the neighborhood in terms of just access. And then when you couple that with the fact that, you know, access and affordability to healthy food really is why this neighborhood is, you know, number one and riddled with heart disease and high blood pressure and high cholesterol and diabetes. And all these things can be directly uh, combat, combated with a better diet. So our restaurant, you know, has more of a, a mission associated with it as well. We wanted to like be the beacon of healthy living and kind of just be a living example that, yeah, 
you can eat vegan food and it can also be delicious. You know, you don't have to go super far out of your neighborhood and it doesn't have to be something that feels really foreign. You know, that's why we make the food you love veganized. We just take people's favorite dishes and make vegan versions so that we can be uh, a smooth introduction to people who aren't familiar with the cuisine. And then we can be like a surprising twist for people who have been vegan for decades. Oh, that's wonderful. So how is it being in a family business? Do you get along better or <laughs> or is it harder when, when you're in business together? I think it's, it's, it's challenging and challenging on, on my part because as the parent and have always been the one to... Um, tell my children what needs to be done to now be on the reverse end. And my son is now telling me what needs to be done. And being um, a parent who's been like that, that more like that disciplinarian type of parent to now have to step back and say, okay, and really understand that what my son is saying and um, the knowledge that he has and being able to accept it and really bring it forward. Mm-hmm. So it's it's challenging, but then wonderful at the same time. Isn't that the best thing about having adult children? Yes, it is. You can look at them and it's like, oh, my gosh, they are functioning in the world and doing amazing things. And I was part of that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's that's so cool. That's fun. I, I, I enjoy the, the fact that um, I can work with side by side with my mom. It's really cool. And it's it's a. Uh, it's it's fun and it's also cool to have to like stand my ground and say you know what mom like you have to listen to me on you know on this aspect because of whatever factors you know and it's uh, it's really cool to hear you admit that actually yeah. <laughs> but it's- also i like i really really enjoy the, the moments where i can kind of step outside of what it is that we're doing and just observe my mom you know in her in her zone in her in the kitchen like really doing cool things and presenting, you know, this food to the community. And it makes me really proud to see her do that. So So you're the the business side and your mom is the creative culinary side. Yeah. I do a lot of the the front side interacting with people and then, you know, payroll and all that stuff. Of course I do that with uh, my, my college brother and one of my best friends, Pascal can't, can't talk about front of the house operations and business operations without uh, mentioning him. But yeah, definitely my mom. She's a creative mad scientist in the kitchen the, who won't stop until, you know, the food is to her liking. And, you know, I take care of all the other stuff, basically. Uh, so what about the restaurant business? I know a lot of people listen to this show who are, are vegan and they want to do something in the vegan world. And, you know, anybody that loves food, restaurants, the first idea. But it's a tough business. We always hear about how hard it is for a new restaurant to get off the ground and, and uh, you know, go forward. So how have you met some of those challenges? It's very hard, I would say, a, a, new, a new business and a new a restaurant business. Because for one thing, the percentage of restaurants that fail is very high. So then you have, if you're looking to get a loan or something from a bank, um, they're very skeptical because of the fact that restaurants fail a lot more than regular businesses. Um, it's a lot of hard work. When we first started, we were doing over 100 hours a week, like equally. Um, and you have to really grind if you want it to work. And you have to be dedicated and focused. And you have to just, there's obstacles along the way, but you have to just knock those obstacles down and just keep moving because the harder you work, the more successful your business would be. And um, I appreciate my son very much. And don't let him tell you he's not creative. He's quite creative when it comes to dishes because he's invented some really nice stuff in there, too, that I'm very proud that he's stepped outside of the managing part and will say, why don't we try this? And it's it's worked. Very cool. There's something else creative for people when you guys go to Seasoned Vegan. I invite you not just to look at the amazing menu, but to look down and there's an amazing floor. Who wants to tell us the story of the floor? That's an interesting story. I actually, you know, my mom, uh, she I, she came across the idea to um, lay p- penny tiles on the floor. It's just basically uh, a whole bunch of pennies interlocking next to each other. 
And when she first told me, I thought it was a terrible idea. I guess I couldn't even picture it. But then when I looked it up on Google, I was like, oh, this is pretty impressive. So we put together a plan to uh, lay pennies in our dining room floor. So um, when we found out, we did some math, you know, and it calculated about how many pennies we needed. It was like an astronomical amount. So what we did was we um, we invited people from the neighborhood to donate pennies to us. So it was a summertime, so we were able to sit outside for a couple weeks with a bin and told people in the neighborhood that we were, you know, collecting pennies for our floor and people donated pennies to the cause. And after that, we had a penny party where we had like 40 friends and family members just basically get on their hands and knees and help us glue pennies to the floor. We did that for about three days, which was <laughs> agonizing for the next couple of weeks. But it's really awesome because it created like a really cool like community project. So now people, you know, two years later come in and say, you know, I've got pennies on the floor, mm-hmm. you know, so they, and they joke about where their pennies might, might be, you know, mm-hmm. like, so it's, it's really cool. And then, you know, as we were, finishing we were on the floor for like three almost maybe four days we kind of started to get more comfortable with it so we started to spell out names and stuff towards the uh towards the front of the restaurant so there's like some secret designs and stuff if you look closely oh that's so cool and as well as the penny floor we also have a paper bag floor so the center of the floor is is pennies that are laid but the entrance in the back and this wall that we created is all made of brown paper bags so we wanted to we wanted to have a restaurant that we could we could really feel that we did the work and it's a part of who we are, and we wanted to make sure that it would be um, environmentally friendly as well. Yeah, it's so super green. We have like our paint is no VOCs and all that stuff. We really we really took uh, care in in choosing materials and just making sure that our whole movement is uh you know in accordance not only with the cuisine but also with the lifestyle and also with you know the environment because ultimately it's it's all one absolutely now i know since you're in the neighborhood that everybody in the neighborhood loves your restaurant but i heard a rumor that stevie wonder loves your restaurant <laughs> yes i tell people he's now my new bff <laughs> <laughs> visited the restaurant about four times and each time he comes to New York he makes it his business to come home and we are very very pleased about that and um, we have a few celebrities um, from the, um, Orange is the New Black, Lauren uh, Lori Petty, yeah Lori Petty yeah, she's, a, yeah, she's a regular Yes, we, we love our customers mm-hmm. our celebrity customers and our civilian customers mm-hmm. we, they, they all really show a lot of love and we appreciate them Oh, and you treat people like that, too. I mean, every, every time I go in there, I feel like I just did something good. <laughs> <laughs> I think that stems from the family aspect. You know, like, originally, this this business is mom and son operated. So, I mean, there's a lot of love there between the two of us. So that kind of just emanates out through our staff to our staff and then from our staff to our customers, too. We really appreciate our staff and our customers, you know, that. You know, we guys, are, we're here for all of them. Oh, that's so wonderful. So we're, we're getting almost out of time, Miss Brenda. Yeah, um, I used to be a really big fan of Cheers. Uh-huh. And I always said that one day I was going to have a Cheers. Aww. The reason being was because I always loved the way when people came into the Cheers bar that everyone knew them. And the theme song, you know, everyone will know your name. And I, I believe I've created that in Season Vegan because when people come there, if we know their names, they know our names, and you could sit next to someone in the dining room. And before long, people are like talking to each other, and and I just love that. I wanted to create a home away from home, and I think I've pretty much captured that. I, I believe you have two last very quick questions for each of you. Tell me your favorite dish, or what you think of as the most popular dish at Season Vegan. Well, my favorite dish is the lemon. Um, Lemon crusted black yeah, sesame. lemon crusted black sesame seed fish. That's my favorite dish, and I think being from Louisiana and growing up with seafood in my mouth, yeah, um, and missing seafood so much as I was doing, going on this journey. That and then the crawfish, the crawfish is great, and the riblets. So it's it's pretty much in that order. Okay, you? Yeah, my favorite uh, is cycles. I cycle through favorites, but I'd say if I uh, man, all time classic, I have to say is. 
I don't know. That's so tough. I really like the the Nuggets a lot. The Nuggets are really mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, too, that I have to give credit to the uh, the cookie as well because growing up, I never liked cookies. I never liked chocolate or anything like that. But the cookies are so good that I like chocolate and cookies now. It's crazy. <laughs> well, and and they're, they're salted. That's what makes them so interesting, that kind of surprising combination of the flavors. Yeah, that's that's all good stuff. So real quick, what's happening this year? What's coming up? Oh, we're super excited. We're still continuing to um, expand our beer and wine menu. We just got our beer and wine license in uh, December. So we're putting together a really nice um, list of some locally sourced and vegan kosher uh, wines. So that's going to be good. We got like some whites and reds and all, all the good stuff. And uh, yeah, just expanding our menus. We're going to be expanding our brunch menu in the near future. And um as it gets warmer and uh, as the demand grows, we're probably going to be uh, uh, debuting a late night menu as well. We're going to be extending our hours a little bit so that we can sidewalk be uh, seating. Yeah, yeah, and potentially some sidewalk seating. So we're working on a bunch of things. Oh, that's great. That's exciting. Well, thank you all so much. Thank you for what you're doing for veganism. Thank you for what you're doing for the neighborhood. And for the celebrities and the civilians who are celebrities in the making, you know, I think that you never know what some civilian is going to be next year. Thank you, Aaron and Brenda Beener, seasoned vegan. Definitely appreciate you. Oh, well, you guys, you guys got it going on. Everybody else stay with us through the break. We're going to be back talking about dairy. Ooh. Stay with us. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application, by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the 
second part of today's Rain Street Vegan Show. You know, it's very interesting how it is with book publishers. And someone that many of you know, Martin Rowe, he's the publisher at Lantern Books. He's been on the show. He's one of our instructors for Main Street Vegan Academy. Lantern Books publishes many, many outstanding books on on vegan topics, the environment, animal rights, human rights, all kinds of books. Martin has only one time (laughs) asked me to look at a book to see if I would be interested in having this particular author on the show. That's how much this book means to him. And once (laughs) I got it and read it, I thought, well, of course I want her on the show. This is an incredible look at the dairy industry. And I think in so many people's minds, that's really what it is to be a vegan. Well, what's a vegan? Well, a vegan is a vegetarian that doesn't drink milk. Well, basically, yeah. And this book is called Cash Cow. 10 Myths About the Dairy Industry. It is by Elise de Saulnier, a French-Canadian independent scholar and animal rights activist who's already published two bestsellers in French on veganism and food ethics. She's now finishing a third book on the 21-Day Vegan Challenge, and Cash Cow is her first book to be translated into English. Welcome, Elise. Thank you. What a nice introduction. Well, it's it's lovely to have you. I've been looking forward to this. When I first got this show, the woman who was then in charge of the network said, well, my, my only concern is, can you find enough vegans to be <laughs> guests? And now we're booked into June. So yes, we can find enough vegans and fascinating ones too. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to write this particular book. Um, well, the French version of Cash Cow um, was my second book. So the first book was on food ethics in general. So I was talking about veganism, but also on the consequences of our food choices on environment, planet, uh, other human beings and all of that. And I did a lot of talks. And when I was meeting people, everybody kind of agreed with me that we should at least reduce our meat consumption. But when it came to dairy, it was a completely different story. Do not tell me to stop eating cheese. And I love my cheese. And um, we're... We're a French, so we, we're kind of attached to cheese. So I, I realized it was this kind of like strange relationship we have with, with dairy. And I wanted to understand that. And same with me. I'm, I mean, I've been vegetarian for a few months because before I became vegan. So I wanted to understand this emotional attachment we had with, with dairy. And that's why I started my research on cash cow. Ooh. So <laughs> what did you learn about that emotional attachment? Uh, a lot, a lot. Uh, first, I think my intuition was good um, for for us. Milk is more than just protein and, and calcium. It's something uh, that is part of our culture. Um, it's an enough of good health, but also of pleasure, recomfort. It's comforting to uh, consume dairy. Uh, it's everywhere. And uh, it's easy to see the suffering in milk, in, in, in meat, but it's completely different with dairy. I think we love cows. And for many people, consuming dairy products is a way to show their attachment to cows. So there's like many, many layers to, to that. And I think it's about the same in the States. But in Canada, the dairy industry is also a very, very powerful lobby. So you don't have that much advertising on pork or poultry, but you have advertising on dairy everywhere. So we came to think that uh, it's normal, natural, and necessary to consume dairy even more than than meat or fish, I think. Oh, I think so too. And I think there's this idea that because you start consuming it when you're such a small child that it's just the way life is supposed to be. Of course. No. Yeah, it's, it's the first thing you consume. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and a, a little child can say, ooh, I, I don't want the meat. And the mom might say, well, okay, you know, have a peanut butter sandwich, but I don't want the milk. It's like, well, you're going to drink it. It just, it has a Yeah, finish cachet. your glass of milk if you want to have your dessert. I mean, we've... Which is also milk. probably going to be dairy. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes. So how did you first learn that milk had a darker side? It's it's a funny story, and I mean I'm I'm somebody who reads a lot and that is curious, and 
Like, I, I had no idea the way milk was produced. And I feel pretty stupid about that. Um, I was walking on the street with, with a friend. I was a vegetarian for a few months. And we start talking about, like, cheese. What's wrong with cheese? And wh- why are those vegans so extremist? I mean, there's nothing wrong with cheese. And my friend told me, well, how do a cow produce milk? I said, well, it's natural. She produced milk. And she said, well, you're a woman. Yes. Do you produce milk? Uh, no. So like, of course she has to have a baby. And then like all of a sudden it became all clear that it was, yeah, the veal industry was part of the dairy industry and the cow didn't produce milk naturally, like, like juice from apple tree. So it was all of a sudden, like at, I don't know, I was 34 or something. I realized that um, there was nothing natural with, with dairy. It was kind of a shock, I will admit. Well, it is a shock. And I think that this is a piece of basic biology that everybody is missing. Unless somebody actually grew up on a farm, we all go through school, we go to college, graduate school, blithely believing that there is one mammal on the planet that just makes milk all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, and I try to ask kids, like, what do cows drink? And the answer, milk. <laughs> so it's, I, I, the industry got it really well. I mean, we all, we all have this false story, this, this false belief that are really enriched in our, in us. And it's amazing. Yes. Yeah, it, it is indeed. So tell us some of these myths. You've got 10. I don't know if we're going to get through all of them. Well, let's start with the first one. And that is milk is natural. Yes. Well, behind that idea, it's that we've been drinking milk forever. Uh, it's part of our culture. And uh, if you um, think about the human history, there was no way to get milk before uh, animal domestication. And that happened only 10,000 years ago. Before that, there was no way to milk um, wild animals, of course. So uh, it like being able to consume dairy became possible 10,000 years ago when we started to uh, domesticate animals. So for most of our history, we're not consuming dairy. And um, today, again, only those of us who have ancestors um, that did consume dairies a few thousand years ago are able to consume dairy. This lactose intolerance everybody talks about is not a disease. It's just normal for all mammals. And we were talking about basic biology earlier. For all mammals, after weaning, you stop producing this enzyme that allows you to digest milk. And it's the same with human, but that changed a few thousand years ago for a little part of uh, humanity. And today, again, 75% of, uh, of humans on Earth cannot uh, digest milk. So there's nothing natural about drinking milk. It's pretty recent in human history. And, uh, today again, most of us do not consume dairy. So it's, it's kind of a wide privilege to think that everybody drinks dairy and uh, that we've been doing that forever. Yeah, that's true. I know that certainly in uh, populations in, in Africa or, or people whose ancestors came from Africa and also Asia, the lactose intolerance is extremely high. We had yes. a, one guest on the show, Dr. Milton Mills, who wrote a paper saying that the fact that in the U.S. the the government guidelines call for dairy, he says this is a racist policy because people of of African descent and and Asian descent are not able to to do that. And I actually say, you know, as much as I dislike the paleo people, (laughs) I am glad that they are pointing out that, that just what you said, dairy is a recent addition to the diet. So as as we get some ex paleo people coming over (laughs) to vegan, at least they got rid of the dairy before they got here. At least they have part of that story right. Part of the story right. So how about the bone thing? Gotta have milk for calcium. Yeah, well, you've seen the ads, you know, you have a bone and it's white and the milk is white. So um, I've been thinking of my life that uh, my bones were actually made of milk. 
And of course, yes, there is calcium in milk and you need calcium for bone health. But like most vegans know, um, cal- milk is not the only source of calcium and it's not um, so well assimilated. So uh, what are uh, the other animals taking to get their calcium? Where they're taking, they're just eating veggies. So uh, we all know that you get calcium in green leafy Veggies like kale, this amazing kale, uh, sesame seeds everywhere. So yeah, you can, you get calcium everywhere and uh, milk is not the only source of calcium. Yeah. Now, a lot of vegans drink non-dairy milks and there are tons of them these days and most of them are actually fortified with calcium. Probably the most common and the most prevalent is soy milk, but a lot of people are afraid of soy milk. Did you find out anything about that in your research? Yeah, it's it's another false belief that the thing about soy milk. I mean, you there is people with with soy allergy, with allergy to soy, and I mean that's that's a good reason to avoid soy. But all this story about um, so hormones in soy or uh, consuming soy being linked to cancer, all that it's all. It's all a false story. It all comes from the same source, uh, the Western Foundation, who promotes um, uh, animal products. So oh, there yes. is yes, our yes. friends at the Western Price Foundation. Yes. Oh, when I really want to grow my soul, I pray for the people <laughs> at the Western Price Foundation. Yes. So it's there's only one source, um, and I mean all other vegan nutritionists, vegan doctors, all agree that there is absolutely no problem with soy. Uh, with soy, it's it's actually really good for your health. It's a good source of protein. But if you don't need milk, you don't need to consume non-dairy milk neither. So there's, I mean, unless you want to put something in your cereal, you don't need to uh, have soy milk or almond milk or whatever milk in your fridge. But if you want to consume non-dairy milk and you like soy milk because it's nice source of protein, go ahead. And there's absolutely no risk. And um, it's actually really good for your health. So um, I'm sad to see that story like coming back every week in vegan forums. And vegan want to do the right thing and they are scared, but um, it's so sad that they, are, they don't consume soy. It's, it's a good protein. Mm, yeah, that's that has been my experience as well. Now I'm moving on down here to myth number six because I have heard this one: if cows were unhappy, they wouldn't <laughs> produce milk. Well, that's uh, that's something the industry tells us, and I've been working on fur lately. Uh, in Canada, as you know, it's really really cold. We are minus forty Celsius. I don't know how much it is in Fahrenheit last weekend, but it's really really cold. And uh, for the past few winters, people are wearing fur trims all over because uh, they feel more Canadian that way. And uh, fur industry tells us that um, minks wouldn't produce fur if they were not treated well. So it's the same. <laughs> and um, the fur industry is even worse than the meat industry or the deer industry. It's terrible. But yes, dairy producer tells us that they love their cows. And if cows were not happy, they wouldn't produce milk. Well, I believe them. They love their cow, their cows, but uh, cows do not produce milk before, because they're happy. They produce milk before because we force them to do so. Uh, it's done through insemination. So there's like no... Uh, Happy cows making love with happy, happy, uh, happy boyfriends or anything that doesn't happen. Uh, they are being inseminated and we remove the cow from the mother a few days after he's born. So the mother gives our milk to, um, the machine and not to our calf. So that's, that's what happened. And there is no happiness at all in, in the story. And cows all suffer from mastitis, even if it's organic or whatever. They all suffer from mastitis. They all suffer from um, emotional pain that caused by being separated from their calf. So it has nothing to do with happiness. And um, if you visited dairy farms, uh, call here in Canada, and I think it's the case in most uh, American states, they are just chained all day long and they don't even go outside. So... It's really, really sad. I, I feel it's even worse than the meat industry in many cases. Um, 
to produce beef, uh, the animal stays outside for a few weeks and then is slaughtered. The cow will stay, will stay inside with her chain for four years before she gets slaughtered too. So it's, it's, it's a long pain. Oh, that, that's a, a very beautifully put succinct phrase. It's a long pain. That, that's very powerful, Elise. Thank you so much for yeah. that. You know, it, Gary Francion once said that there was more suffering in a glass of milk than in a steak. And I, I kind of agree with him on that. There's a lot of suffering in ice cream and milk and uh, cheese. More there, than there, steaks. Well, there is indeed. And I think that's why those beautiful people in England back in the 1940s were sitting around saying, uh, wait a minute, we're vegetarian. And yet there wouldn't be a veal industry if there weren't a dairy industry. So maybe we need to take this further. Such a revolutionary thing at the time. And I guess for some people, going vegan is pretty revolutionary now. What is the situation with veal these days? I know that a lot of laws have passed in many countries around the world. So the hideous uh, chained at the neck and given the anemic diet, not allowed to turn around in, in the veal crates is not as prevalent as it once was. Do you know the status of, of uh, veal? Uh, I, there has been improvement in the States. There was a scandal, I think, like 15 years ago, and there has been a few improvements in a few states on the way uh, we raise um, veal. It's not the case in Canada. Uh, we're like people think that Canada is a progressive country, and I think we are on some aspects. But in terms of uh, animal laws protecting animals and uh it we are really really behind and um for for veal it's awful i mean the worst you can imagine we have it here it's it's a byproduct from the dairy industry and there's not much money to make with 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 veal so it's really the worst condition you can imagine mercy for animals did a hidden camera um thing a few years ago uh, in Quebec. And like the worst thing you can imagine, they, they have it in camera. So yes, it's as bad as you can think. Mm. Oh, that's terrible. Um, you know, again, you mentioned Gary Francione, and I know one can say what they want about him, but his his statement about universal veganism really being the answer to the whole thing, I have to hand it to him on that one. Um, Absolutely. I do agree there. Now, you have a, a section in your book that, that is, is a really, really good question to me. And you're saying organic is green, but not necessarily better for animals. So, so many people that I run into say, well, I only eat humane meat. I only eat free range eggs. I only drink organic milk. What would you tell them? Well, when I meet people um, that are consuming those organic meat and poultry and, and dairy products, I ask them, like, why do you do that? And all of them, without exception, pay this premium because it's a lot more expensive because they want to do the good thing. Uh, they they like animals and they think that, that by paying more animals will be better treated. And um, And that's sad because... There might be, it might be true in some cases, but, uh, for dairy products, there is, there is absolutely no difference. And that's maybe the biggest discovery I've done in my book. Uh, if you visit an organic dairy farm in a traditional dairy farm, you might not see any difference. Um, it's exactly the same cows that are inseminated, separated from their calf, uh, that are chained all day. The only difference is that they have access to outdoor pasture like a day a week during the summer, and that's about it. So you're paying like three times more for absolutely nothing. So yes, they are fed with organic grains, and that's nice. But beside that, in terms of welfare, it's exactly the same. And at the end of their life, after, I would say, three years, four years, w when they could live 20 years, they are all sent to the same slaughterhouse and become the same hamburger meat. So there's really, really not much difference uh, in their life. And that's that's really terrible. 
and their calf are sent to um, the same uh, the, the same place to become uh, veal meat. There's absolutely no difference there. It's mm, such a sad thing. So another myth that you point out in your lovely book, and you know, as we talk about all these myths and all this research and all this information, this book is really jam packed, and yet it's a little book. It's it's not an intimidating, great big book. Even with the resources, of which there are many, it's 168 pages. So do get yourself a copy of Cash Cow, 10 Myths About the Dairy Industry, and learn all this stuff. It's going to help you so much answering the questions that uh, people ask you. But one of the myths you point out is when people say it's an industry just like any other. Well, you seem to think it's not like any other. (laughs) What are you talking about here? It's not like any other because if you look at the car industry or you look at any other industry, the orange juice industry, they don't get that much support from the government as the dairy industry does. Um, it's the same in the States and in Canada. Many people would believe that a milk is produced by the state. It's a governmental thing. Uh, milk is so enriched everywhere and government protects the dairy industry. And it still doesn't look like an industry. Um, you don't get ads for a brand of milk. You get ads for the, the products and you don't get like ads for cars in general. You get ads oh, for that's Ford. Interesting. And, and oh, that's fascinating. For- or you don't have ads for like, like traveling by, by train. You get ads from Amtrak or VRI in Canada, but you get ads from just the products. Just like it's, it's, it's something really, really good for the entire society. Like any other advertising you would get on doing sports or, um, recycling well you have ads for dairy so mm-hmm. it's 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 a different product and why don't you have ads on vegetables you you don't <laughs> and and that should be half of your plate but there is no ads telling you you should eat eight portion of veggies every day but you get those ads telling you, you should eat two or three uh portion of um dairy every day or four portions in some states and um so that's one thing. The other thing is like in, in, in Canada, the price of milk is controlled by the state. So it's, it's such an important product that, um, the state controls the price so everybody can afford milk. And why don't, why not you doing that for, um, cabbage? That is really, really good for your health or kale or whatever. But no, we only do that for, um, for milk yeah. and we serve milk in schools. And that's recent. It started in the beginning of the 20th century. Why not serving cabbage in schools or broccoli in schools? No, it's only milk. That's fascinating. So, yes, I think most people will believe that milks are produced by by the state and it's like water. You have to have it every day in order to be in good health. But it's just it's just another product made for profit. Fascinating. Now, we may have already touched on it because we've talked about a lot of of the myths that you bring up, but in all this research that you've done, and this is a very heavily researched book, what is the most surprising discovery that you made? There's a lot. Um, Well, I wrote the book mainly for myself, but um, I think like the, the, the biggest discovery happened when I did the revision for the English version. So, of course, I didn't translate the book myself and it's written in proper English, not the kind of English I speak. Uh, but I did the revision of um, the English version. And we've been talking about uh, a lot about water. And in California, people worry about water shortage. And when I was in San Francisco last year in cafes, uh, they were not serving a glass of water with your cup of coffee. They were asking, well, if you really need a glass of water, please ask because we're saving water. And that's great. I mean, let's save water water and it's but still they were serving lattes with cow's milk (laughs) and if you like the amount of water required to produce one liter of um, milk and I think in liters because I'm really Canadian so you would need 1000 liters of water just to produce one liter of cow's milk that's a lot 
And if you compare with soy milk, for instance, it's only 300 liters. So it's still a lot of water. But uh, you have three times more water in a gallon of cow's milk than in a gallon of uh, non-dairy milk. So, yes, you can, like, remove the glass of water from the tables if you want. But why not simply switching from cow's milk to um, soy milk? And it's a shame that we have often have to pay an extra to get soy milk in our cafes mm-hmm. where... You should pay an extra to have cow's milk because this is the milk that has a huge environmental impact. Brilliant. Well, maybe you'll be running for office up there in Quebec <laughs> one of those days. So I I loved your book as a longtime vegan, but I don't think you wrote this book for me. Who is your target reader? Well, I think like people that enjoy the book are people that are just starting to um wondering what is the truth behind the milk or that are like becoming vegetarian slowly but don't know so it's a really i think it's an helpful book in transitioning uh, it's also an helpful book if you uh, are raising a family and you want to know what's good for your kids and for the planet and for the animals so it's i think it's an easy book it's easy to understand you don't need to be convinced or to uh Spend two weeks to read it. Uh, you can read it long chapters. Uh, you can skip parts. It's not important. So um, for for beginners, it's I think it's it's a, it's a great tool. A lot of beginners are like I'm talking about beginners, but you know, people that are just starting to um, read on the, those topics. And if you are already convinced on veganism, and are and are tired to tell the old story again and again to your friend while just like give them the book. And, um, great and idea. Long term vegan have told me that they still have learned things in the book. Uh, so if you are often running into debates on Facebook and you're looking for arguments, you might find answer in the book, I think. Wonderful. Wonderful. So let's just shift a bit in our last five minutes to what is going on up there in Montreal. I know that you're one of the organizers of the Montreal Vegan Festival, and I, I know you've got some amazing restaurants up there. So fill us in. Yes, well, uh, I, I became vegan in 2007, 2008. And at that time, there was only one vegan restaurant in Montreal, and that was about it. And for the past seven, eight years, it's crazy. There's a new restaurant opening every month. Uh, last, like we had a first vegan festival two years ago, and we're expecting maybe 2,000 people. Montreal is a very small city. We're only 3 million. So we said like maybe two, um, 2,000 people will be great. 5,000 showed up. Ooh. So of course it was jam packed. Following year, we said, well, if we get 5,000 again, maybe 6,000, it will be great. We were 10,000. Wow. So the venue had to call the police and the firefighters <laughs> because it's like, it was too big. But, um, so it's, it's growing really quickly. I think the French world is a little bit behind on those vegan issue, uh, just because we didn't have like Peter Singer or Gary Francion's or, um, Melanie Joyce books in French. So those issues were not discussed as much as in English, but, uh, in Quebec and in France, it's exactly the same. It's growing up really, really quickly. So if you're looking for a summer vacation, uh, come to Montreal. Uh, the Canadian dollar is so low that you can True. eat vegan for almost free. Uh, you can do your, um, your vegan cheese and vegan milk shopping here and save a lot of money. Wonderful. You know, I've never been to Montreal. So may, there's, may there's I? There's a train coming every day. That I know there is, and I would like to throw my hat in the ring when you're looking for speakers for the vegan festival. I'm taking notes. I, <laughs> I I could say part of it in French. You know, I, I I can't bring enough words to mind, but if I had something written down, I could even do a little bit of French to get to come there to your wonderful festival. So thank you, Elise. So with someone. With the French heritage and that culinary background, can you give us your best tip for getting off dairy cheese? Uh, instead of 
like my my husband is French from France, and he grew up in the region that produced um, cheese. So something that helped him and me is saying like, don't say you will never eat cheese again. It will, you, you won't, but don't say that. <laughs> And instead of trying to replace cheese, and of course, I mean, you will never replace the French cheese, discover new tastes, discover new things. There's so, so, so many things to add to your plate. So don't think about what you remove from your plate. Think about all those things that you can add with uh, a vegan diet. There's tons of great cooking books there. So your diet doesn't have to be the way it has been all your life. Add new things, discover new flavors, and it will be easy. Oh, this is wonderful. Elise, you're absolutely charming. I'm so happy that we had this time together. Thanks, Martin Rowe. The book Mm -hmm. is Cash Cow, 10 Myths About the Dairy Industry, and we'll put all that information along with Elise's social media contacts and website and all the rest um, on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. We're actually going to be continuing our Canadian theme next week. We're going to have um, Lisa Pittman of DIY Vegan and also the wonderful photographer, Joanne MacArthur. You saw the film about her, Ghosts in Our Machine. And so they'll be joining us next week. This week on the Main Street Vegan blog, you can read something about forming a community and having vegans in your corner. So check that out, MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. You can also go to MainStreetVegan.net and get the show notes. Just click on podcast and it'll pop up there saying show notes and then you can find out um, how to find out more about Elise and her work and also about Season Vegan and what Brenda and Aaron are doing up here in Harlem. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for being our gracious hosts and to everybody listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. notice that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. The more we learn about life, the more we realize life never stands still. Life is in a constant state of growth and change. In our individual lives, we may resent change or even resist it. We often forget that our resistance doesn't stop life from changing. Our resistance keeps us locked into a negative mindset and blocks our acceptance and enjoyment of life's constant diversity and variety. Learn to recognize change as a stepping stone to greater growth and good. Meet life's changing conditions with courage and optimism. Changing your thoughts helps you change your actions and can result in positive changes in you 
and the world around you. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.